the 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 very grief that feels like it might threaten to destroy you entirely is I find so off part of what God uses to set us free. There's actually there's it doesn't mean that we'll make sense out of everything. It doesn't mean that everything will have an immediate one-to-one kind of meaning, but that there's actually freedom that comes through the grieving process. Hi friends, and welcome back to the Naked Soul Podcast. And in case you don't know, my name is Caleb and I'm your host. From the beginning, my hope with the Naked Soul Podcast is to share stories from different guests that help you find the courage to get close to your pain, to help you find the courage to let go of the old so that you can step into and experience the new life that is waiting for you. And I cannot even begin to tell you how excited I am about this episode. It's in this episode that I had the absolute privilege of sitting with someone who I deeply respect and admire, Jonathan Martin. If you know anything about my story, then you probably know that after I walked away from the NFL, I moved to Canada where I started to serve a church so that I could get mentored and start healing the pain that was keeping me stuck and miserable in life. And as you might imagine, the first several months of this season of life was anything but easy. I was more confused and frustrated and angry than ever before. I've never felt so lost and my heart was drowning in a sea of despair. The hard part wasn't necessarily finding the discipline to show up every day. That wasn't the case. The hard part, and maybe you can relate, was trying to understand what was happening in my heart and in my life. Nothing made sense. I couldn't conceptually understand what was happening. There was no formula for this process, no playbook that gave me a play-by-play. It felt as if I was walking blind and I had no idea where my next step was going to land me. The uncertainty of this season of surrendering or letting go was unbearable until one day while cleaning the church's bathrooms, I heard Jonathan come on a random podcast and share his own story of brokenness his own story and season of surrendering or letting go or what he calls his shipwreck. From that moment on, everything changed. I'm not exaggerating when I say that I consumed every piece of content that I could get my hands on that Jonathan published and his voice and through his written word, his story slowly became a prophecy for what was to come in my own life. And truthfully, I've never been the same. I can't say it enough. I am so tremendously grateful for the man that Jonathan is and for all that he represents. And if you don't know, Jonathan is the author of two acclaimed books, Prototype and How to Survive a Shipwreck. Jonathan's work and his words have been featured in places like the New York Times, The Atlantic, NPR, Newsweek, Vox, The Huffington Post, and Relevant Magazine. But what you need to know most about Jonathan is despite where Jonathan goes or whatever you might find him doing, his message is always the same. No matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, God is at work to bring beauty out of your brokenness. As always, I hope that this message blesses you as much as it blessed me. More and more people are coming into my life that 
are having that dark night of the soul, that surrendering, that letting go, like exactly what happened when I walked away from the NFL (laughs) and I had no idea what was happening in my life. And it wasn't until I got into my community and got somebody that has experienced that before and started speaking into my life. Um, And that's about the same time that I met you too. And then suddenly things begin a little bit more clear. I think half Mm -hmm. the battle with the dark night of the soul kind of season of life is just kind of almost getting a glimpse of understanding in regards to what's actually happening. Right. You know, cause it's right. so contrary to life up to that point, everything yeah. up to that point is willpower and sheer yes. force and strength. Um, and then you get to a point where you, you can't do anymore and you physically have to let go. And that's a scary process, but I know that you have had your dark night of the soul. Yeah. <laughs> you call it your shipwreck. Can yeah. you just uh, lead me up to that point of kind of, a little bit more context of what happened in that process of that season of life for you? Yeah, well, um, I mean, it, it, what led me to that point, I suppose, is the first half of my life, you know, and I think about Richard Rohr's falling upwards as well as maybe source material deep on that in terms of people like Robert Bly talking about first and second half stuff. I think it's so helpful, not just in terms of geographical age, kind of like a numerical age, but, uh, you know, I mean, I was preacher's kid and my grandfather was a minister and kind of just so lived my life on the straight and narrow. And I think more or less everything always had a trajectory that was upward. Not that I was all, everything was all awesome all the time, Mm -hmm. but I think, you know, I just, I went to college and I did a couple master's degrees and, um, I planted a church that was growing and thriving and everything was generally kind of moving up. And it wasn't until, um, for me, shipwreck largely looked through, uh, looked like uh, going through a really painful divorce and kind of, you know, from there, there's a lot of unraveling. I felt like with all that was happening in me personally there, there was no way to stay at the church uh, that I was at responsibly. So kind of checking myself out of the game as it were there. And, I don't know. It kind of felt like in a lot of ways walking away from an entire identity, but I think that was a lot of it as I think I was, you know, roughly 35 and realized I didn't, I didn't have a real sense of who I was. It's like my belief system was largely inherited. My life felt like it was largely inherited and in some ways not fully chosen. And, um, it was like, there was this, it was terrible at the time. I mean, I literally felt like it was killing me at the time, but there's also this, this, this deep desire to come awake, to be conscious, uh, to be awake to my own life, to feel like somehow that my life was fully chosen. I just didn't feel like there was a way to do that within the confines of what existed before. Yeah. Did it feel like something was missing? Yeah. um, That's a great question. I mean, um, yes, I think that I feel like the default setting so much with first half of life stuff is a lot of it's ego building. You tend to throw yourself into work of some sort. So that can take the form of building a name for yourself, building reputation or like in in my case, I mean, I was legitimately building a community that I really believed in. So it wasn't like there wasn't stuff that had depth to it in that regard. But I think in a lot of ways it was like, I feel like I lived from my head a lot more than I did from my heart and certainly from my belly, you know, there, I just wasn't like a deep knowing. And I think that, I think that was wearing, that was wearing on me a lot of ways. Um, there was just a fundamental kind of disconnection from 
myself. And I think that what can happen is that you sort of accidentally start just basically living your life according to your perception of other people's expectations for you. And that's just no, and, and, and in that I think is no like real sense of self. Um, I think that's maybe the thing that was, that was missing the most, which was like any kind of developed sense of my own identity in that way. Can you explain a little bit of what actually means to you or look like to you from to drop from your head to your heart? Because I think a lot of people hear that often, like move from your head to your heart. I know I've heard that at times and I'm like, what the heck does that even mean? Uh, now I get it, but it's not something you can necessarily teach, I would say. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's it's really hard to teach because I feel like a lot of this stuff, life has to happen to you and it's not... You know, I think you can make decisions to be aware. You can make decisions to listen to your life, to listen. I would even say to listen to God. Um, but some of it, you know, is not exactly taught. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it this way. I had a great therapist when I was in Charlotte that I saw at least weekly, sometimes more for surely for four years at least. And um, I remember early on in the process when I was, the most in free fall and just so unsure about who I was, what I wanted that she gave me a homework assignment. One day there was a Baskin Robbins near uh, Baskin Robbins ice cream near the, uh, her office. And so she sent me there and wanted me to go pick out just a few different kinds of ice cream that I like and eat. And I like the therapist. Wanted, yeah. Me already. Right. Amazing. But to really take my time, like thinking about the flavors and which ones I like best and why. And I remember even the time being like, are you serious right now? But I think like that, that was actually kind of fundamental. This sort of like starting to really ask myself the questions like the, the, what do you want questions, which I think for somebody like me who is hyper religious, that was a really scary question because in my mind to even ask the question, what do you want inevitably is going to, lead down a path of selfishness or debauchery or something, whatever else, which now I think is a little bit hilarious, you know, because one of the things that was really surprising to me when I thought my life unraveled is that my faith, my fundamental connection to God got much deeper. And even my love for church and sacraments, all that got much deeper, but I was surprised by it. I was afraid that I'd been a professional Christian for so long. Like who knows what I'd do if I didn't, if there wasn't a paycheck involved and there was no, stakes kind of in that way, you know? Um, but I, I digress. I think like you, I think you just have to really deal with the, with the, what do you want questions? Because my sense is on some level, you, you're, you can't really do anything that you don't want to do, or at least you can't do it for long or you can't do it and be integrated at some point. If you're not choosing your life, then, um, then subconsciously there's such a rift that things are going to explode at some point. Like your life has to be consciously chosen. So I think that that's a lot of at least where it started for me was grappling with the questions of what do I really want and why? And that was a real thing to grapple with. Like, what do I really want and why? Like, you know, I, 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 I came away from my own kind of dark night shipwreck experience realizing almost to my surprise that I still felt very called to vocational ministry. But I think the why shifted a lot in that. What is this for? Is this about pleasing my dad? Is this about my sense of what I'm supposed to do to follow some kind of a legacy or 
Like what, what like what, what's the motivation here? I think all that had to be deeply examined. It probably was a big shift too, in terms of like, I have to serve God versus I get to choose serve God to serve God. Yeah. Like, I know that's like just a radical shift in perspective. Like growing up in the oh. Bible belt, I never knew I had the choice. I never oh, knew yes. I had the option. And then, yes. so there was always kind of like a, a cap to my relationship with God because it was always driven by fear. That's right. That's right. And now this seems perfectly weird to me, but, if, but I know most of my life I would have thought, well, there can't be a choice because if there was a choice, I wouldn't do it. That's yeah. what I really thought. Yeah. Well, no, then I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> now that seems weird and hilarious because it's like, if you really believe that God is love and that God is good, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of reasons to choose God, but you know, that's, but that's the thing that I realized too, is that, um, if, 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 if there's not really a choice to, if you don't feel like you can really choose God, you know, then I think no matter how pious you are or what kind of devotional life you have or whatever, how genuine can any of that be? If you don't feel like you have a choice, you know, then it's like, Oh, if every, if it's out of duty and obligation, then what does it even mean? So I almost feel like, you know, it's like, I don't know to what extent, I mean, God's merciful. I don't mean this legalistically, but, I don't know to what extent a real relationship God can even begin until you think you could walk away because that to me is the characteristic of any true love is that there's a kind of freedom that's there in, in Jesus famous story about the prodigal son, you know, the, the, the father, the prodigal gives his son, the money gives him the inheritance early knowing it's going to be misspent because that's what love does. It leaves the back door open. It doesn't manipulate. It doesn't force. It doesn't control. So I think so long as there's still a sense of coercion, manipulation, control, I, 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 I can't do anything other than choose this. It's not up to me. Then I, at minimum, it can't be healthy. Uh, what did your, would you, what, or how would you describe potentially like to the best of your ability, your relationship with God before your shipwreck? And to anybody that's listening, we refer Jonathan's uh, Dark Night of the Soul as a Shipwreck. He titled a book, um, How to Survive a Shipwreck. And that's actually when I first encountered you. I remember the first time I ever heard you, dude. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I was on my hands and knees uh, cleaning toilets at the church's bath in the in the bathroom at the church. And I couldn't tell you what was happening in my life. There was just a rush of emotions every single day. I had just walked away from the NFL. I lost everything that I want. I was didn't know it at the time, but I was really grieving a life that was never going to come to fruition. Uh, the life that I've always strived to find because I was told that if I experienced that life, I would find everything that I'm looking for. Um, and so I was really in the process of grieving that. And you came on a random podcast. I was honestly shuffling podcasts. I had no idea. I can't remember which one it was, but you were speaking at a church and you came on and you started telling your story about walking away from your church. And I was just like, for the first time in my life, I understood what was happening in that moment. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, this is the season of life that I'm in now. And so your voice became a voice of like just prophecy in my life, everything. And I honestly, I consumed every piece of content you ever pushed on the web. I have it still in my, uh, like in my, in my desk, I have every single one of your, um, articles that you released on medium. Are you uh, serious? I That's amazing. They're all printed out. They're all highlighted. They're marked up because <laughs> oh, I, I would love find that. myself in all of these stories. I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. God, this is me. But I'm really mm-hmm. interested in hearing because 
there's so much beauty in it when I speak to people about the first half of life and the second half of life, yeah. really how your relationship to God really changed the most. Yeah. Well, I just think that, um, and I'm so honored by that, Francis. Thank you. That's, that's more encouraging than you know, truly. Um, I think that, you know, it changed in so many ways, but I feel like on some level it was, I, this almost sounds a little too stark to me because, you know, I know like, maybe sometimes we want to manufacture before and after that's too radical. But looking back, I almost feel like before it just doesn't feel like much of a, of a relationship with God, because I mean, honestly, like all I ever did was ask for forgiveness, which is kind of funny because especially before that season of my life, I don't know what I felt that guilty about. I mean, I was so guilty all the time when I legitimately wasn't <laughs> didn't do what I didn't have anything to feel guilty about. It was like, I think most of my prayer life was essentially pleading for forgiveness. And so it was so like transactional and um, judicial and therefore so like head, it just, it doesn't feel like much of a relationship now. I mean, because I wasn't, there wasn't a sense before that I could bring everything into the presence of God and live my whole life in the presence of God was it a sense that prayer could be something that come as naturally as breathing? So that, I guess, to me would be like the biggest shift is that it went from being, you know, this like truly something that I dreaded. I did not enjoy prayer. I didn't enjoy teachings on prayer, books on prayer, really, even though I went to prayer stuff or whatever, because it always felt like, again, like duty and obligation to joy. It, it, and while I still love, like, for example, I, I love to use prayers in the Book of Common Prayer and things to kind of steer me in. I absolutely understand prayer much more now as a way of being in the world with God, a kind of connection that I feel like is is always there and that I can return to over and over again and I want to return to. You know, that's night and day compared to what I had before when prayer was like a, a more occasional, erratic, legalistic activity preoccupied with getting my legal status with God right that to now like this vibrant, you know, connection with the source of love that I believe is the creator of all things, man, so different. Yeah. I always say it's like, I spent my first half of my relationship with God praying to God, um, trying to do exactly what I needed to do for like going to prayer, going to worship, going to church, so on and so forth. So that I could hopefully, I think deep down, it was an attempt to prove to God that I'm worthy enough for him to, or for God to finally pick me or to choose me. Yes. So I spent most of my time trying to convince God to pick me. Um, mm -hmm. I constantly waited on God to change my life or to answer my prayers. And then when you go through that deconstruction of your faith or that shipwreck or that crisis that leads you into the second half of your life, now it's more so I pray with God. Yes. I no longer wait on God. I access God's grace that's available to us and begin to co-partner with him, God to create the life that I want to live. And, you know, it's no longer I'm waiting on God to, or to pick me. I choose myself. Yes. Right. That's the real things I've learned what it looks like to choose myself. And that radically just revolutionizes your life, especially the freedom. Yeah. So. Um, oh, that's good. I love that. I love that. That's beautiful. You, uh, one of the things I remember that really marked me when I was in that season of life that has stayed with me, and I think you just brought it up a couple of things, but one is when you really elaborated on the story of 
Mary seeing Jesus for the first time mm. after he was crucified. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh my God, because I was just visualizing this moment where Jesus dies. Mary mm. had to be so distraught that mm. she just lost Jesus. Like she just witnessed him crucified on the cross. And then she's on her walk and she comes face to face with Jesus. Like imagine like A, scared as hell. B, the, oh my God, the rush, the excitement, you're alive. And then running to her, running to Jesus. And then Jesus saying, no, no, Mary, don't cling to me. Mm. Right. And then I remember thinking like, what? I remember like putting myself like, why would, why would he not allow her to cling to him? And yeah. he says, you know, I have not yet ascended to the father or whatever, but you really broke that down. And you went on to say, you know, it's not that Jesus couldn't be there for Mary anymore. He just couldn't be there for her in a way that he used to be there for her. That's right. Can you That's like right. just break that down a little bit more? Because I find that so powerful. It spoke so, so much to me. And it still speaks to me as we're constantly in a dance with God and changing seasons of life. And I can't rely on yesterday's faith to get me to where right. God is bringing me tomorrow. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because it was that, that Easter story was the lectionary text for Easter just a couple of weeks ago. And I preached on it again and still some of the same fundamental ideas, but it went a step further for me. And I've been thinking about it so much ever since. And that, cause I, I guess I, maybe I talked about this loosely before, but I don't think I really grasped this part with, with any kind of clarity at all. I know I talked before about, and I still believe this, the notion that, you know, what part of what we see in the story is that the only God we can know is the God we can know now, uh, not a memory of God or an idea about God. I still very much believe that. But what I what I, what dawned on me reading it this time that's so simple, but that is that feels so profound to me right now is that clinging or like holding on is always a form of control. And if if God can be clung onto, if God can be held onto, then He's not God. He's an idol. <laughs> a God that you can hold in your hands is always an idol. You know. <laughs> so it's like God had to, God has to transcend becoming an idol. And, and therefore, God has to be ungraspable, you know, for us. That's how I think about it now, you know, is that, um, that, that in fact, that, that's kind of what my really, I mean, I know I talk in, in, in the shipwreck book about holding on and letting go, but I feel like the further I go, the more I see, like, the spiritual life really is pretty much all letting go. <laughs> Surrender's the whole thing. It really, which sounds like, oh, well, great. I mean, like, but not really, because surrendering so hard because no matter where what station life we're in no matter what's going on we are always intuitively attempting to grab a hold of someone or something we're always trying to tether ourselves down we do not want to live free living free is painful business and we have to over and over again i think have our fingers pried loose and you know i think it takes a it takes a a resurrected Jesus to do that, you know, at least for me. Yeah. Um, even I grew up in the word of faith movement. And so, you know, like Kenneth Copeland was in my ears when I was four or five, six years old. And 
not to get into the theology of it all, but I remember hearing a story that he said one time that really marked me. And he said that he was in prayer with God one day and he was talking to God and said, essentially, like, you've manifested, like, Jesus, you manifested yourself to Oral Roberts. You've manifested yourself to different people. And he was like, I want you to manifest yourself to me. And he mm. was like really just pleading with the Lord to just, I want to see you face to face. And I remember in that moment thinking like, wow, like that's bold first and foremost. But then he says that he heard the voice of the Lord respond to him and it says, I can manifest myself to you. But if I do, you will never, if you see me face to face, you will never reach the levels of faith that you need to reach to mm. go the distance or to go where I plan on taking you with your life. And yes. I was just remembering like, oh my gosh, that sometimes yeah. God showing up in my <laughs> life would actually be a disservice to me in that moment because it would not allow me to deepen my faith, to expand that that yeah. seed of faith in my life, to then go yeah. reach what I need to reach. And I think about that whenever I hear that story of Mary. If Mary could actually cling to Jesus, yes, her faith would have actually been stifled because That's it's right. not in the clinging that she has to keep having faith. It's That's not right. in the clinging that she has to continue to place her hope in the resurrection of Jesus. You know yes. what I mean? And that's like so such good. a hard lesson to learn because so often we find ourselves in these places where we're just crying out to God to drop mm -hmm. something in our lap. But what we don't see is God dropping that thing in our lap would actually be a disservice to us. And God's that's a good right. father and he sees the end from the beginning. Yes, it feels it feels mean at the time. It feels cruel, but it's not. It's actually mercy, and especially like Caleb, you talked so uh, wonderfully about being co-laborers with God. That kind of language. I mean, I think like if God really does want to teach us how to drive, if it's God's idea that we have a sense of agency, if it's God's idea that we imitate God in that way, that we also are able to create, that we also, you know, I think part of that is like. It is, it is how God grows us up. And there's so much mercy in that, you know, and there's love at work in that. But, it's, but in the moments, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like uh, absence. It feels like being God forsaken. It feels like being left alone. And yet is it, we see it over and over and over again, the pattern, that it's precisely in those moments of what seems like God forsakenness that actually people's capacity for faith, for hope, for love, goes so much deeper where it's where wisdom comes. And ironically enough, I think over the long haul, even a deeper sense of God comes from the absence of God, you know. You recently posted, and I find this is probably the, just what you said, it's not the shipwreck, it's the day after. Oh yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the day after I find that to be, it's all the false starts in life that really right. set you back. You think your That's life is correct. about to change and it doesn't change. When you write that, do you go back to a specific moment? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I I wrote that actually a couple of years ago. I, I I know that what I thought about when I wrote that initially was that after so much of my life changed, I moved halfway across the country and started over, and I just thought because so much had changed, that everything that I'd started that was new was going to be great. He's like, it's a whole new life. And there were all these things. And like, I'm just so wanting to skip ahead to the resurrection part of the journey. And when I start hitting dead ends with some of those things too, and wow, well, maybe some of these relationships weren't meant to be forever. And maybe this 
job isn't the right job. And maybe the first couple things that came along weren't somehow magical in some way. Like, yeah, that, that, you know, especially when I put a lot of weight down on that. I remember that was just, that was really disappointing. The reason I just posted that again, actually what I had in mind was um, very, very difficult week. And just the loss of my friend, Rachel Hunt Evans is so fresh and she's 37 years old. And I was just with her uh, two months ago in her home. It's so, I, I still get my head around that. But what prompted me to post it again was that just, because I, I feel like I, it keeps coming back to me that way, how it's like, it's not the day you get the bad news. It's the day after that. It's not like the day the thing happens. It's the day after that, like when things settle in and that kind of like. You, you say it's the false hope. The real monster is false hope. When you thought you saw a new shore, but it was only an illusion. When you thought you found a miracle, but it was only a mirage. When you thought you found an oasis, but there was only more sand. When you thought you hit the bottom, only to fall deeper still. When you thought yeah. you found a new home, but it was just another pit stop. He says, you said, when you heard a sound in the distance, you thought it was God, but it was only an echo of your own voice. It's not the shipwreck that threatens to destroy you. It's the heartbreak that comes when you think you've made it out, but you haven't. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> a little too hardcore, isn't it? I noticed today, I post on Facebook and I don't interact on Facebook much. And I had a couple of wonderful, well-meaning people to like, oh, brother Jonathan, don't give up. Like, 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 I'm like, I'm not giving in despair. Like I feel like 99% of the stuff that I post is very hopeful. It's just like people who get it, people, I, they get it, Jonathan. <laughs> I, yeah, I hope so. I just, but I believe in fully entering those moments. Like, you know, I, and yesterday, yesterday, that's why I posted again was one of those days where I was like, right now, all of this feels bleak to me. And to think about my, you know, my friend in addition to being an amazing writer and all these things that made her a gift to the world. She's a mom of a, three-year-old and a one-year-old. I'm like, right now, there is no way of thinking about this that makes any sense to me at all or, or that make God or the universe don't seem good to me right now in the middle of these things, you know? And I just kind of like, it's there. I mean, I, that's one of the things I love so much about the canon itself. I mean, like in Psalms, you've got so much, so many Psalms of lament without the, you know, feeling the pressure to like resolve with, within a happy place at the end. Like there, some days are like that. Uh, sometimes you don't, find the meaning. And I think it's important to talk about that when, when that's where we are. Yeah, no, it's powerful. I think so many people can relate to that. It really is. But I, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I thought my life was about to change and it didn't change or what yes. I thought was yes. going to happen. It didn't happen. And the first couple of times you you pick yourself back up and you're able to get back on the horse. But then after a while that despair hits you and That's it's a right. dark, dark, scary place to be. And I'm again, I always go back to like, there is no vulnerability without community. And yeah. this this season of life, when you're trying to transition and really look to really understand what surrendering looks like, because it's not a one stop shop. When you follow the voice of the Lord within your life, like you said, like right. more, more spirituality is more of a letting go, a constant letting go, a constant surrendering, yeah. falling deeper into the abyss, but also feeling more beloved the deeper you fall. Yes, that's so right. And it's just kind of like uh, the times that I, I can't even tell you how many times I gave up because of that mm. false hope. Oh, yeah. It, that's oh, the yeah. one thing that will actually really wreck you. It will. And yet the the most hopeful thing I think I can say about it is even though it doesn't feel like it, when you keep falling like that, you're actually falling deeper into love. You just don't know it. Like love really is at the bottom. And I think like, 
but that's just not what you're feeling. What you're feeling is just terror at the time. And it, what does feel like just a complete loss of hope. I think just the, um, you know, I do encourage people like see the process through, like just stay in, like, just, just, stay, just stay with this, just even when it's painful, even when it hurts. But, uh, but admittedly, there are sometimes in the middle of it, like where there's no sense of meaning or purpose to be found. There's no like sunny outlook on something that's going to make it feel better. No, it does. It just sucks. How would you, um, I know a big part of like my relationship with God and how I do things now. I know early on in Christianity, when I grew up in the church, you know, I often say that I didn't, I didn't become emotionally unaware in life because of the cultural or societal norms of masculinity. I became very emotionally dishonest in life because Mm. of church, because anytime I felt Uh, depression or anxiety or stress or fear, I was told to rebuke that. Just rebuke those feelings. That's not from Jesus. That's not from God. Rebuke them. And I'm thinking like rebuke is a pretty harsh word. Therefore, these things are bad. There's no space for them. So let me just deny them. And so I've had to kind of learn all over again what it looks like to be emotionally honest with God. More specifically, what it looks like to grieve with God. And I... I don't think a lot of people understand the process of grieving. And I know you've had to do your fair share, even as you've just lost a very dear friend of yours. Can you maybe open up a little bit about what that grieving process looks like for you? Well, I mean, part of what, what, what makes it difficult to speak about grief is that grief is so nonlinear and it, you know, it, it comes in waves. It's, you think you've made it out and it kind of pulls you back under again and there's cycles to grief and you, there's not an, you don't neatly move from one stage to the other. You can move back and forth between stages. And, um, yeah. So I think like, I think what I've learned maybe the most about like grief is that you just like going back to the whole idea of surrender, you know, the moment that you try to clench your fist and the way you were just talking about kind of deny something, it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. That's the thing is that it's not about, you know, like trying to combat one kind of theology with another. It just, it simply doesn't work. Anything that's just simply denied or repressed ultimately comes back to bite you. You just, that does, it just, it just doesn't take you anywhere, you know? So you don't grow, you don't mature, you do not change. At best, there might be kind of short-term benefits from some kind of complete denial or shutdown, but even that's debatable. So I think like, I think you've kept it moving from clenched fists to open hands to let yourself feel things that aren't comfortable to feel and talk about things that you don't necessarily want to talk about and look at things that you don't want to look at. I just think there's no there's no getting around that. I think grief, you know, it, it kind of has to run its, has to run its course. And you don't, um, I think that's the hardest thing. I, I literally, the part of the text this past Sunday, the gospel text was where Jesus tells Peter prophesying about his death, that, uh, Peter's death, you know, that there was a, a time where you were, you were young and you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wished, but the time is coming, uh, when you'll grow old and someone else will dress you and will lead you where you do not wish to go. And I think that to me is such a haunting and powerful image of the kind of letting go that's necessary in the grieving process, allowing yourself to be led where you do not wish to go. Jeez. 
That's powerful. What would you say to somebody that is entering into that, that letting go, that season of letting go, that surrendering? Because it's it, honestly, and you understand, it doesn't make sense. It's not... Yeah. It's not logical. Like, oh, I'm trying to get to this place in my life and I'm doing more, trying harder. Uh, you know, I'm showing up every day and I'm at the end of myself. So you're telling me now the way forward is actually to go backwards. The way up is actually to go down. The, the way to actually achieve is to no longer have my hands clenched so tight around it, but it's to let go. Yeah. You know, what would you yeah. say to that person um, that is in that season of surrendering and letting go? I think I just want to say that, you know, grief, grief is not going to kill you. It just will feel like it will, <laughs> but it, but it won't, it doesn't actually kill you. And in fact, the, the, the very grief that feels like it might threaten to destroy you entirely is I find so off part of what God uses to set us free. There's actually, there's, it doesn't mean that we'll make sense out of everything. It doesn't mean that everything will have an immediate one-to-one -one kind of meaning, but that, there's actually freedom that comes through the grieving process. Because I just think, for one, I, I think the biggest thing is this. What, what everybody wants, who doesn't want new life? Who doesn't want abundant life? Who doesn't want, I mean, everybody wants to kind of say yes to the new. But I just think if, if there's not grief, newness is never really possible. You know, if there's not burial, if there's not time to honor what was, if there's not time to let some things die, if there's not time to, uh, to, to just to, to commemorate that in some cases, or in some cases to feel the loss, um, newness just isn't possible. You end up carrying the old dead things into the, whatever theoretically would be new. And it just, it just doesn't work. It's always um, trying to put new wine into old wine skins, you know? So I just think like, it's just, it's, there really is grace at work in it. And even though it doesn't feel like that, it's, it, it just, it is the path. I think that um, it is the only path towards comfort is to go through the grief. That's how we get to consolation, going through desolation. And it's what it looks like for, for everybody. You know, everybody, I, the last couple of years, as you know, I talked so much about the disciples on the road to Emmaus who encountered Jesus. And I just, the Emmaus road is to me become just kind of, symbolic of they're walking away from Jerusalem, leaving home, leaving everything that's familiar. And it is very much a path of descent, quoting Robert Bly here, descent, ashes, and grief. But it's also the, the road to resurrection. You know, it really is. So there's just, there's just no going around it. I just think any, any way of trying to get into a future that doesn't go through grieving and death, does it really bring you into the future? It actually just traps you in the past keeps you walking around the same mulberry bush over and over, same patterns, same habits. Just does it doesn't really move you forward. Even when it looks like you're making progress, you actually are not. I think if there's not room to grieve. Yeah, I often say you can't resurrect something that has not yet died. That's right. That's right. And that's exactly what everything you just said. What would you say to somebody though that what can somebody do to best position themselves to to fall down that descent, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I look back at my story, like, and what, and there were things that I did, um, yeah. that it didn't make the pain any less and less, but it still helped make the process a little bit more, I guess, efficient. I don't know. That's probably not the right word. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't 
maybe on, on different days, I might would give a different answer. But I think what comes to mind right now is that, and I, you know, Caleb, I feel like this is a lot of what you're doing with your work, because I do follow you on every platform. I love, love, love the things you're saying and how you're saying it. And I feel like this is what, I feel like you, you do this with your platform so beautifully. But I think in, you know, it, of course, that kind of resource, but also one-on-one -on -one relationships. I just feel like you can't do it without a guide. Like you need somebody who will make you think about the broad narrative of your life. That will make you um, look at the past, look at patterns, um, like uh, take put those feelings out on the table and, and like objectively like look at them. Some kind of a therapist or a spiritual director uh, or that God's in the midst of all that to be sure friends to be sure but i think the more qualified the better like we absolutely need that kind of space because i just think you know the soul is a precious thing and and it's worth real care it's worth like a real investment so that'd be my biggest thing i'd want to tell somebody is like find a find a guide and and be willing to make that kind of investment because i think the idea that like that like any of us are like smart enough to entirely self-direct when it comes to our souls is just it's just not true. Like uh, souls and, and the mind, like all that stuff. Like we, we all need help, especially when we're going through like major transition. Like we really need guides. Yeah, definitely can't do it alone. Uh, last question I have for you is I kind of have made everything I do. And like it's inside of the brand, the naked soul. Uh, yes. When you hear the naked soul, what does that mean to you? Mm, I love that as a brand, by the way. And I love the, you know, what I think about, I guess, when I, um, when I hear the naked soul, I just think about in the Genesis narrative, Adam and Eve in the beginning are naked in the garden. And this, I, I think like there's this connection between nakedness and freedom. You know, when I hear the naked soul, I hear the free soul. I hear a soul that's unfettered, that's not tied down, a soul that's not uh, cluttered. That's what I hear. You know, it's like, uh, I mean, the nakedness can have a, the vulnerability has a downside, of course, and then it feels risky and dangerous. But also with that is a sense of wildness and freedom that's really, really good. And I think that's what, that's what I want people to be ushered into an experience is like, hey, like it's, is it scary? Of course. But when you're living from your true self or your false self, when you're really living a life that's integrated in terms of like, all of you is at least attempting your try you know, to move like in the same direction, man, there's just such a freedom that comes in that. That's really, really good. So that's, that's the thing that really comes to mind when I hear it is it's, it's an invitation to freedom. Uh, I love that. And honestly, just to end this, I want to say, I want to honor you. I want to honestly say that while I've read your stories, while I've consumed almost every piece of content you've thrown out there, I still probably can't understand the depths of the pain that you've gone through and that you've experienced in your life. But I want to say from the bottom of my heart, sincerely, thank you for, for continuing to trust God in the midst of all that process and to continue to show up and to lean into that, to, into that abyss, the uncertainty of it all so that you were able to emerge out on the other side of it and be such a, a voice of hope. Uh, mm -hmm. for so many of us because your voice and your words like I said earlier on they weren't just words they were, they were a prophecy that spoke mm -hmm. to my very very dry bones um, mm -hmm. you know in several seasons of life so I just want to honor you with that and sincerely say thank you
Well, thank you, friend. That means so much. Well, I'll tell you what, your your work now is speaking to me the same way. It's so encouraging. And it's such a, and I think, you know, we just need that so much because I feel like both in spiritual and uh, in secular and sacred culture, like at, at the end of the day, not that many people are really contending for that kind of vulnerability. Of course, there are some. Of course, you got Brene Brown, like whatever. But in the, the day, this is always going to be the narrow road. This is not going to be, it's not an easy path, you know. But I think it's the only path towards healing and wholeness and to watch the way that you're that you're breaking people open. And I think the fact that you, uh, given your background and just kind of who you are, kind of an unexpected source of that for people. Like, you know, they're expecting, like, I don't know, some real, I don't know, like some, some guy in a flannel shirt. And I don't know, I, I, I can just see the guy in my head, this Birkenstock, where they're expecting to hear this content, you know, and I just... I just love it. I feel like God is taking people by surprise through you. And I think there are people who are, who take you seriously and who are getting vulnerable, who would not hear that message from anybody else because of the unique way that you're able to do it. So I'm so grateful, man. It's really awesome to see the, the kind of freedom and release that's coming to people's lives because of, of what you're doing right now. So thank you for that.